Latino Stories, Historias Latinas, es un podcast que nace del proyecto de narrativas orales de Latinos en Ohio, Oral Narratives of Latinos en Ohio, con entrevistas en español, inglés, and Spanglish. Welcome to Latino Stories. I'm Elena Fowles. My guest today is Eric Garcia. Garcia is currently the senior Washington correspondent for The Independent. In his book, We're Not Broken, Changing the Autism Conversation, Garcia uses his own life as a springboard to discuss the social and policy gaps that exist in supporting those on the spectrum. Bienvenido a este episodio, Eric. Thank you for having me. Uh, tell us a little bit about yourself. Uh, sure. So my name is Eric Garcia. I'm obviously the senior Washington correspondent at The Independent. Yes, it's like the Ted Lasso episode, uh, <laughs> Trent Krim. Uh, no, I don't know Trent Krim. Uh, also, I'm a columnist and I'm over at MSNBC and I'm a, and I obviously wrote this book, We're Not Broken. Obviously, I've been uh, a reporter. Before then, I've been a reporter for National Journal, Roll Call, um, and Market Watch. I have been an editor over at The Hill and the Washington Post. Uh, I've written here, there, everywhere, The New Republic, uh, uh, The American Prospect, uh, and a few other places. So yeah, I've, I've written, uh, uh, so yeah, I mean, I've, I've been a journalist. I've basically been a journalist ever since I was, uh, ever, ever since I was in high school when I worked at my high school newspaper, so yeah. That's great, that's great. Um, Eric, you identify as someone on the spectrum, but reflect on the media's portrayal of predominantly white people, white males, and other aspects of misinformation about autism. How do you, as a journalist and someone who is Latino, enter into this conversation, which has been in many ways incomplete? Yeah, so like as to borrow from my friend uh, John Marble, uh, I was born. That's how I entered into this conversation. Mm -hmm. um, but uh, but 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 in seriousness, like all things taken equally, the the real way I entered into it was uh, if you remember in 2015 uh, when Donald Trump was running for president. At the time, I was a, I was you know starting out of my career as a political journalist. And you know, I, I didn't think that autism would really interact with uh, with right. my with my job. Uh, and, and then, if you remember, Donald Trump began began running for president. This is back when we thought that like uh, you would just like do it and then flame out, and then right. you know we'd all you, you know we'd all vote for Jeb Bush or Hillary Clinton, you know. Uh, and then, uh, but but like what stood out to me was if you remember in I think the second debate, the second Republican debate. They asked him about um, what you know his old tweets about vaccine, vaccines and autism, mm -hmm. and you know he Trump being Trump, he said that autism is an epidemic. He talked about the vaccines, you know, mm -hmm. and the thing to me that stood out was, okay, Trump is Trump, okay, uh, and you know we know that he has a very open relationship with the truth mm. but he is saying something that a lot of people believe right and a lot of misinformation has been spread about you know when it comes to to, to autism and vaccines even though there is no 
link. I, I just want to be clear as possible. There is absolutely no link whatsoever between vaccines and autism, none whatsoever. Right. That has been debunked. The guy who put out the study lost his medical license. He was extremely unethical. Uh, so, so, so I, I feel like you always need to say that anytime you talk about vaccines and autism. But like, we got that out of the way. Right. But, but what that said to me was, um, oh. You know, there are a lot of people, including a lot of Democrats who say, who believe that. And my feeling as a political journalist was, um, was that this was very disconnected from the lives of autistic people. And, you know, if we're spending all this time talking about vaccines, this means that is time we're not spending talking about poverty, for autistic people, mm-hmm. that's time not spent talking about education or talking about uh, not just educating people about autism, but like actually like how autistic people can graduate from high school or college, mm-hmm. uh, talking about talking about housing, talking about uh, t- talking about and, and then let's also talk about the fact that, um, uh, you know, plenty of and that that all that in turn got me thinking uh, about like oh well you know a lot of portrayals of autistic people on television they're mostly white boys mm-hmm. like if you go back like you know one of my friends Jonathan Cohn when he wrote a piece about childcare what he did was he did and he looked at old covers of Time and Newsweek to understand like the zeitgeist in the same way like when I went back and I looked at like old magazine covers of Time magazine or whatever. Like almost all of the covers of like that of psychology, it was all white, white adolescent boys mm. with blonde hair, mm-hmm. and that to me felt like a really incomplete portrayal. Not just because I'm Latino, but because like I, I was like, you know, well, I know that there are black autistic people, and I know that there are uh, Latino autistic people, and I know that there are Asian American. And I know that there are plenty of girls and right. there, you, you know, so like, I think that was really it was kind of um, frustration about how it was talked in politics and frustration of how it was portrayed in media, like we kind of the, uh, the, the two catalysts. And that makes sense because I work in political media. Right, right. Um, and I really want, I mean, it, it's it's striking to me, right, also that that conversation or atta- uh, diseases, conditions, or, um, you know, anything um, that affects a community um, that shouldn't be attached to a specific race is, right? And what that does yeah. to that community, right? So, so, yeah, so there's awareness and maybe we build resources, but how do we make sure that those that are in this case, right, not white males are served um, in a same way within the understanding that we all come from different backgrounds, might might have uh, different, um, you know, cultural practices that we should be thinking about when we think about um, working with, with people on the spectrum, correct? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think, think it's important to recognize. And so, so this is what happened was afterward, I kind of, when I began writing this book, I came to realize that a lot of the, the I mean, there was a real reason why most of our understanding about autism, why we excluded people of color and, and basically non-white people. And it was because, you know, going back to the first studies about autism in the United States, particularly a guy by the name of Lee O'Connor up in Baltimore, Maryland, uh, not too far from where I live. Um, 
uh, in Washington, D.C. Uh, the first study he did uh, about autistic children had, I believe, uh, nine white Anglo-Saxon children and two Jewish children. And on top of that, uh, eight of the children were boys and three of them were girls. And, you know, it was funny as I think about that and I think about uh, Baltimore, Maryland, like, I mean, uh, back in those days, it was a very Catholic city. It was a very Irish city. It was a very Italian city. It was a very Polish city. So I was like, wait, that's completely divorced from like the actual, like, because he was doing it at Johns Hopkins University. Mm -hmm. Like that's divorced from like who he was around. Well, guess who could afford to go to these child psychi right. psychiatry clinics? Right. Mm -hmm. It was mostly white Anglo-Saxon people. And the two Jewish families basically got lucky because this is the time. I remember this is this is around the time before World War II when there's still a lot of anti-Semitism. Mm -hmm. uh, and, and that can't be understated. Um, so 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 that is um that that was really the thing that, that stood out to me was that there was this very skewed understanding of autism from the beginning. And on top of that, it, it, it can't be discounted that uh that Connor really and a lot of other people were freaking out about uh, unloving parents. Like, and this is around the time that women women were entering the workforce. Mm -hmm. uh, again, we're talking we're, we're talking about women entering. You know, this is the, the first wave of feminism. But then on top of that, as men are going to war in World War II, women are are filling those jobs. So we should also just take that into account. Um, but uh, so. so already right off the bat we have a very skewed understanding of autism and as a result who we think can be autistic is very very limited i mean i remember one of the things that was interesting to me uh i was watching a documentary from like 2002 of dorothy groomer uh she's an african-american woman i think from like chicago and she had an autistic son and uh she suspected that her son might be autistic and then uh uh she goes to the, the doctor and they says like do you know do you think my son could be autistic and she says and they said oh well no because you, you you're you're a black woman so you can't be a quote-unquote refrigerator mother mm -hmm. uh, which was like a term for unloving mothers so like right there mm -hmm. you get the kind of intersection of racism sexism right uh, uh ableism uh, and, and bad science all in like one very um specific moment right mm -hmm. uh, and, and i think that and i think that uh is, is indicative of how our understanding of uh the uh, of autism was uh was skewed and, and mm -hmm. still continues to be skewed mm -hmm. Yeah. Eric, how do you feel um, people being on the spectrum affect Latinos or Latinas differently? In what ways? Oh, that's a good question. And, and like, I want to be careful about this because I think that whenever you talk about how a specific condition affects a specific group of people, mm -hmm. you... Um, you risk saying that oh well it's because of their race mm -hmm, mm -hmm. or because of their or, or because of their biology we, 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 like we know that of course that's not you know then you're that then, then you go into like phrenology and all that mm -hmm. garbage but like but 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 i think that more than anything like i think that the question is the 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 more important question about is how do we react and i think one of the one of the key things to take into account is that a lot of um Psychiatrists don't offer screening in Spanish mm -hmm. for, for right. autism. Language so that's real. 
Right. So like take into account a lot of these diagnostic screen tools were made in English. Mm-hmm. So even if you do have a screening tool, a lot of it is still brute forcing it through into Spanish, mm-hmm. if they even have it. On top of that, uh, many times uh, getting a diagnosis isn't covered through insurance. Mm-hmm. Uh, the, the, uh, oftentimes, a lot of students don't get diagnosed unless they have good services in schools. And we know that Latinos are uh, less likely than any uh, ethnic group in the United States to get a college degree. Uh, and I think they're one of the biggest laggers for graduating a high school. So like, so, so take that into account. When the resources and the, the tools that are used to diagnose autistic people are ones that are still inaccessible to Latinos as a whole, that naturally means that it's uh, gonna be more difficult to diagnose them or, or they're gonna get misdiagnosed or they're gonna go undiagnosed for a long time or they're gonna get diagnosed later. All all three or four of these things can happen. Right, and I'm thinking also just, when you know, if you get to that point where you your child is diagnosed, right, um, what resources right. will be available for you really to address those needs in schools? And I know that just from conversations or articles that I read, there is a lot of advocacy that parents um, do, right, to make sure that yeah. their children have access. But most of this, parents are white um, middle to upper class parents right that that yeah. have maybe their resources to advocate the time to advocate advocate for their um, children where if you're talking um, you know the the bipoc community might be um, you know lower cl- cl- uh, working class uh, maybe there is a language barrier where a parent, yeah, um, is not able to advocate in in English for their kids, right? And so, so not only is there um, this barrier in diagnosing your child, but then yeah. once you once you do that, uh, what's next? And how do you go about advocating for for your children, right? Absolutely, it's 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 a big factor, and it's, it's something that that a lot of parents to think about. And on top of that, I mean, I think the other important the other important thing is that there's not a lot of uh, is that there there also isn't a lot of cultural understanding about autism when it comes to Latino communities. There mm-hmm. still is a large gap in understanding it. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, if you think about how little understanding there is in predominantly white communities, uh, imagine that tenfold within a lot of marginalized communities or where there's a language gap or there's a language barrier or there isn't a lot of research uh, or, or there aren't a lot of tools accessible. So on top of that, they, uh, Latinos have to, Latino parents have to deal with stigma within their own communities. Absolutely. They have to deal they had to deal with tons of misunderstanding uh, from often their loved ones or their siblings or their parents uh, or their grandparents. So, 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 so take that into, so, so add another fa- uh, factor into that. Yeah. So, so yeah, yes. a, la- a layer. Yeah. Um, that is just another, uh, th- th- that's just another uh, consideration that, that plenty of uh, Latino families have to, have to take into account. Right, right. Uh, Eric, in the description of your um, book about your decision to write it, it says that you needed to put into writing what people have been saying for years, and that is autism as part of their identity. They don't need to be fixed. Uh, Talk to me a little bit about that. 
Yeah, I mean, I think that that is always the one that gets people because um, a lot of people don't understand that like autism is a disability and it needs to be accepted, not an illness that needs to be cured. And I think that any time that you talk about that, a lot of people say, well, are you saying that autistic people who struggle with this or that shouldn't be? I'm like, no, I'm saying that they deserve services. They deserve mm -hmm. uh, the tools to live a good life. Like uh, a lot of autistic people uh, have epilepsy and like, I want them to be cured. I want them to like not have to deal with seizures because like seizures are horrible. Mm -hmm. And it's one of the biggest killers of autistic people with intellectual disabilities. Mm -hmm. So like, you know, I'm not saying that like everything is good for autistic people. I'm saying that they deserve acceptance and accommodations and the ability to and basically the right to live among everybody else. Mm -hmm. uh, and and that's that, that I think is, a lot of people understand it, but a lot of people don't understand what I mean when I say that. I, I, I've been really out of it, and I'm trying to make sure people understand what I mean when I say it. I understand what I mean. Yeah, and I think we need to have more of those conversations, right? That we, it's, it's, it's a different type of ability, right? And, and yeah. I really do like uh, what you say about full inclusion, right? Uh, yeah. That we need to see it, you know, just like any other person that might have an impediment, right? Uh, for right. Uh, living, you know, I don't know, uh, whatever our definition, what we think is a normal life, which that yeah. know, varies too. But, um, but to have the services that they need to fully participate in us, participate in our society. And, and I think we do have need to have more conversations that normalize, right? Having people of different abilities um, in every space. Yeah, I mean, I think I think it's important to include people with disabilities throughout the throughout in every facet of life, uh, and that's not just uh, charity. That's 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 their right as human beings. Right, right. Uh, 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 that that's not that it's not including them just because they're disabled or because we have pity on them. Mm -hmm. It's because they're that they're fully human beings and they deserve all the same all the same things that uh, non-disabled people deserve. Right. Um, as you might know, in our department uh, here at Texas A&M San Antonio and the Department of Language, Literature, Literature and the Arts, we're reading your book, We're Not Broken. Well, um, talk to you. us about uh, what you hope we see through this book. What should we come away with? Yeah, I mean, I think that uh, I'm glad that you guys are reading this book because I think that it's important for educators to understand more about autism, mm -hmm. honestly. I think that they, the educators need to recognize that uh, they have neurodivergent students in their classroom, right. and they need to make their classroom as accepted as accessible as possible. They need to create an environment where they are not able to, where they're not afraid of opening, uh, of disclosing that they're autistic. Mm -hmm. Uh, they, there needs to be a, uh, a less of a culture of being afraid of it. Uh, so, so, so I think all of those things need to uh, need to change. I think for for students, let me ask our students reading this as well. I'm sorry, say it again. Are students reading this as well? Uh, no, no, but we should. Well, <laughs> we should well, 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 uh, I, I mean, let's speak to students if you guys ever think about doing it. But, sure. um, but I think the 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 thing that I would say is that 
what I, you know, there are also, I'm sure, neurodivergent people on your staff, in mm-hmm. faculty. Right. And, uh, right. You know, I think what, what they need to know is that they are good and fully human and fully whole as they are. They're not mm-hmm. failed versions of normal. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I do think that, um, especially, I mean, uh, what I see is that there has been uh, maybe a bigger focus, even with all the, you know, um, inefficiencies, I guess, um, in the K through 12 system, right, about working with students on the spectrum, but less so in higher education and at universities, right? And so yeah. I'm excited to read this book and to, to really think about how we uh, make our classes, our university, a place where um, anybody on the spectrum feels a place of belonging, right? Feel like you just said, yeah. not, not afraid to disclose or not afraid to ask for accommodations as just part of their normal, you know, our normal life. Absolutely, yeah. I, I mean, I mean, I think that uh, that is that is definitely the most um, important thing is that they need is that as as more as more people need to just feel like they are. Uh, not stigmatized, that they're not odd, that they're not outsiders, but that they're just human beings. They deserve to be accepted. Mm-hmm, right. Um, Eric, do you have any projects for, for the upcoming year, 2023? You know, uh, you, you know, in my day job, obviously tonight, uh, you, I don't know when this podcast is coming up, but tonight Trump is announcing that he's running for president. Mm-hmm. So I'm going to be basically busy covering the 2023 election, <laughs> obviously working on my day job. But, but, but so, so, so yeah, like I think I'm, but after the whole, like after uh, the Georgia runoff, I'm going to take a nice long vacation before I think about doing anything else book-wise or anything else-wise. So. Well, good. You deserve it. Eric, uh, muchas gracias por esta conversación. Muchas gracias por todo. A todos, gracias por escucharnos y recuerden seguirnos en Facebook y de compartir este podcast con otros. Hasta la próxima.